Hello and welcome to the Good Sports Podcast, diving deep into the world of sports and development. My name's David Terrace and I'm joined by fellow Good Sports, Sarah Begg and Lee Booth. Hello. Hello. So uh, we're going to talk uh, sustainable development goals and how sports relate to that. I'm going to pass over to Sarah Begg, who knows considerably more about it than I do. So Sarah, what are we talking about? So the sustainable development goals, they've been in place since 2015. And they're essentially a list of goals that have been put together by the member nations of the United Nations. Um, They held a conference on sustainable development in 2012. It's 17 goals that aim to address the environmental, political and economic challenges um, that are facing the world today. So they replaced the Millennium Development Goals. They were pretty successful in some key areas, particularly around HIV, AIDS and, and diseases. And so on the back of, of that success, that's why the Sustainable Development Goals were put into place. We've been looking in particular at a document put together by the United Nations Office on Sport for Development and Peace. If you're interested in seeing the document that we specifically looked at, that can be found on our website as well, goodsportscast.org.uk. Have a look at it and tell us what you think, how your organisation might learn from that reflection. And what they've done is they've mapped um, sports and I guess physical activity against the 17 goals. For me, it's very interesting. They, some of them are very obvious. So you know, you've got the um, ensure healthy lives and promote well-being for all. Well, you know, sport is kind of a, a really obvious thing for that. But they've got a number of number of the goals where you know, it's slightly more of a leap, perhaps, or stuff you wouldn't think of initially. So build res- resilient infrastructure, promote inclusive and sustainable industrialization and foster innovation uh, with sport as well. So what, what we wanted to do is really have you know, a couple of takeaways or a takeaway each about what we think about the document, how it relates to our work and how it might help the sport and development world. So, Lee, did you want to just kick us off with your thoughts? Yeah, what was interesting for me when I started looking through the document was I went through a bit like you were just saying there, I went through the work of Cricket Without Boundaries and sort of tried to map what we've done against these development goals. And, you know, on first look through the document, two, two shone out straight away, and that was uh, goal three, which is good health and well-being. And that's clearly, you know, 95% of everything that we do. It's physical activity. But it's also information on sexual and reproductive health, which fitted in with Cricket Without Boundaries messages on HIV. Uh, and then goal five as well, which was gender equality. And that's obviously a massive part of everything that we're trying to do around getting the boys and girls to play together on our projects in sub-Saharan Africa, but also then the projects that we're now running in the UK. Yeah. Um, but it was sort of, it was more interesting really on my, my sort of second view through the document when I went through it in more detail. And I just kind of started starring bits and pieces that, you know, also reflected work that we'd done either in Africa or in the UK or the work that we're about to do in Jordan, for example. So once I've been through the document in more details, I had us down as, at least in a small way, contributing to another nine goals. So 11 in total of the 17 goals, a small organisation like Cricket Without Boundaries are at least having some impact on. And that ranged from goals one and eight, which focus on no poverty and decent work and economic growth, That fitted around our ambassador programme, which employs people in country to coach cricket while delivering our health and social messages. 
Lots of links to goal four, quality education, where we talk a lot about tolerance and diversity. And goal 16, peace, justice and strong institutions. And that made me reflect on the work that we've done in northern Uganda, where we've used cricket as a tool to help integrate former child soldiers back into schools and also help break down some of the stigma that they're facing. So it really was a quite an interesting exercise for me to do from just a cricket without boundaries point of view. But I do think it's a good exercise for other organisations to do. One, to identify what they are already doing, but also possibly more importantly as a, as a guide to help build partnerships to expand their work into other areas. I think that's really interesting, Lee, and it very much connects with sort of the main takeaway that I took from the document, which is, you know, when the SDGs first came out, people were quite damning of them because there were so many, um, mm. you know, 17 goals seems like basically a, a wish list that was never going to be fulfillable and a, a case of too many cooks spoiling the broth potentially in that everyone wanted their goal included on the list. But actually what it's allowed people to do is have a common language to start talking about what the goals they are trying to achieve are to really articulate them. And it means that we're sport for development people or sports development people or however we interact with sport we're used to using sporting terminology. We're maybe not used to interacting with people from a development sphere or from spheres that are around other parts of work, maybe that sort of gender advocacy or environmentalism or all these different things that the SDGs connect into. So by taking the time to identify which of these SDGs do we work towards, it gives us a common language to work with people who are in the same game as us, who have the same targets as us, but maybe approaching it from a different, different perspective. And I think it's interesting that one of the real core goals is partnerships for the goals, <clears throat> goal 17. And I think it's telling that that's the final one in that by creating this common language of, you know, we're working towards goal two or we're working towards goal seven, we're able to find partners who are doing similar work, which can only be a good thing in terms of strengthening our delivery and creating a real network of people who are looking to, to address these, these challenges that we face. I've got kind of a positive and a slightly more kind of challenging take. One is echoing what you were saying, Sarah, that it allows for sport organisations to illustrate their value for money in terms of funding and priorities and also to showcase their work for partnerships and working towards a goal and you can say it's goal 16 we want to work with partners with similar goals is is fantastic i i kind of read it and i thought that some of them were slightly stretching the value of sport and presenting sport as this panacea for all of the world's problems is kind of how the document reads I, I know it's not meant in that case. I think it's, it's illustrating the versatility of sport. But I'm kind of interested in, you know, sport is quite an emotive subject. And I'm interested in how elite sport is going in terms of increased marketing, marginal gains, increase in competition means so much to people because of the monetary value involved now. Some of the sports are incredibly unsustainable in terms of their environmental impact. You only have to look at yeah, the resources that go into some of the main sports. So I, I'm interested in how people are seeing elite sport and the way it's going, huge amount of uh, money and sponsorship. And then it's got this kind of community-driven approach, which is, which is fantastic. But 
it relies a lot on the skills of the coaches to foster that kind of positive sporting experience for people and to um, avoid it being a slightly negative uh, experience that people may have experienced at school, for instance, if you weren't particularly sporty. So elite sports seems to be going in one direction, although you could argue Paralympics has made it more inclusive and the promotion of you know, the Winter Paralympics. But these goals seem to be very much community-led, all about it being sustainable. And I completely get sport as a um, social vehicle. I wouldn't be in this podcast if it wasn't. But I'm just really intrigued to see that relationship between elite sport and uh, this community sport and, and just how it differs and, and whether that's an issue, really. I think that's a really interesting point, because if you were on the outside looking into sport, you might see a bit of hypocrisy there, I think. Yeah. And, you know, that's always going to be a challenge for us when we talk to non-sports people about the activities or sessions or programs that we're delivering because even if that's with the development goal at the forefront and sport being secondary often people can't see beyond the fact that sport is involved in some way sport is now big bucks and the people who play sports are so much more distant um from people like me and you than uh, than they used to be and yeah the gender equality and the empowerment all women and girls yeah, you know, sport is so male dominated, it's getting better. But I, I suspect there'll be people who question whether sport is the right vehicle for a lot of this stuff. And I, I think it is, but I think it needs to be delivered in the in the right way. And that and that bit is is the challenge that coaches have. And you know, organizations in general, because in a lot of ways that's driven by the philosophy of the organization itself, isn't it? Yeah. If you're putting the development of others first and the development of sports second then a lot of these goals are achievable if you're putting the development of sport first and unfortunately that often looks like winning trophies yeah then it can it can definitely become problematic can't it so in summary we think this tool of mapping sport against the sustainable goals is um, a really great exercise for sports and development charities to go through if they haven't already. It certainly opened um, our eyes in terms of cricket without boundaries. It places sport at an advantage because you can partner with different organisations by working towards these common goals and outcomes. And there's some challenges because sports here is being presented as a solution to all the problems. But actually, sport itself has a number of issues and uh, we've flagged the disconnect between elite and community sport. So there's a great deal that the sport and development community can do to promote itself and the work that it does. And we're really interested in getting the views of people within this community and, and, and our, anyone who listens to the podcast. If you drop us a line on Twitter at Good Sportscast or um, on email info at goodsportscast.org. UK, then we'd love to uh, hear your thoughts. So now we're very excited to have our first guest on the pod, Charlie Gamble, CEO of Tackle Africa. Charlie, welcome to the Good Sports Podcast. Hi Dave, thanks for having me. So Charlie, I'd like to start by getting to explain a bit more about Tackle Africa. Um, what's your mission and how do you go about achieving it? We use football as a way to engage young people across sub-Saharan Africa in sexual health and HIV programs. 
Um, our vision, our mission, I guess, is a is a, an Africa where all these young people have the information and the skills they need to access the services to stay safe. Yeah. Um, and we think that football and sport in general, but for in our case, football in particular, uh, is the best way to grab their attention, keep them in a, a health-focused program, uh, and try and give them that knowledge and information, and ideally, actually, link them right up with a, a, the service they most need. And, and what, what is it about football that you think um, kind of lends itself so well to that? It's just so incredibly popular. Yeah. Um, sport in general, right? So it could be it could be any sport. It depends what your passion is. But if, if your passion is football, then it's the thing you want to spend your time doing. And mm. I, think, I think in any part of the world, um, getting young people to access health services yeah. is difficult. Um, getting them to access sexual health services is, is very difficult. And that's, mm. that's everywhere in the UK as well. Um, in Africa, it's the same issues. Uh, yeah. except it's a, even maybe slightly more complicated because there's a higher risk of HIV. And we think that using football as that means to, to talk to them uh, is a really good way of doing it. Obviously, not for everybody. If your yeah. thing is drama or music, then that would be the best way to, to access you. But if you like football, and a lot of people in, in Africa do, a lot of young people, Certainly. then it's, yeah, it's a really good way to reach out to them. And um, so, so, so how does how does the kind of charity work in terms of actual delivery? See, um, you're based over here, but as I understand it, you've got people in country as well. So maybe just if you could just explain a bit about the mechanics of how it works, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm based in the UK with a couple of other people, uh, and we basically try and raise the funds and find the partners to reach more young people. And then we have uh, staff teams in the countries that we work in. We currently work in eight countries in mm-hmm. sub-Saharan Africa, all through local partner organisations who either are already sexual health or HIV-focused organisations who are struggling perhaps to reach young people, and they're looking for a new way to do that. So they might already have the clinical services and the testing provision, but struggle to get young people to, to come and use them, which is very common. Yeah. So we help them. Um, by training their peer educators of how to use football uh, to do that attraction and to keep kids in a program. So basically we train people to be football coaches. We train them to be absolutely fantastic football coaches and and not because we really care about the football. We're all football fans, I'm sure, in the organisation, but that's not important to us. It's the fact that we believe if you're a brilliant coach, be it football or any other sport, you will keep young people listening to you for longer. And that's, that's really important. If you're trying to change someone's behaviour, it takes time and it takes a role model of some sort to give that information over. And your coach can definitely become that person if we can give them enough skills as both a football coach and also as a peer educator. So we provide that training process currently for hundreds of, of coaches, about 600 this year, wow. um, who work with about 15,000 kids on a, on a regular basis. Um, and we want to keep young people in the program for as long as possible. Mm. Uh, and that would, could be a year. Um, it, as long as possible, we think it is a better chance for them to take on the information they, they, they are lacking, perhaps. Yeah. Build up the confidence, build up the skills they need to, to make safer decisions when these uh, times come in their lives. And they, and they definitely will come across those times and, and hopefully access the services as well. So we do quite a lot of work bringing sexual health services, be it access to contraception or HIV testing or access to voluntary male circumcision to yeah. football 
pitches for their training every week or for tournaments and that can actually break down all those barriers that stop adolescents accessing those services. And I, I love that focus on behaviour change and that long-term behaviour change. I think that's, that's so important. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to just touch on your kind of personal journey as well. So how have you got to this position of kind of heading up this charity? Um, I got excited about sports development, I think, sort of at the beginning. Um, I used to work for Common Relief as a, an administrator yep. about blimey about 15 or 16 years ago <laughs> um and i was um an administrator in the grants team so i was supporting the really brilliant grants managers who would decide where all the money they got raised by comic relief and then by sport relief as well when that came along decide where it would go yeah. so i got to learn uh, about lots of different issues that comic relief were funding which is fascinating in, in the UK, uh, where I was focused, and also in the international grant-making schemes. Um, and that's, that was a real good introduction to the development sector, if that's, if that's the right um, yeah. sector. And then the idea of using sports started to come up to try and achieve those outcomes. So things like dance and drama and music were already accepted, but football and sport was a bit different and wasn't being used. And it was the sport relief conversation where Comic Relief started to use sport to raise money that seemed to start a question of, well, actually, if you're going to raise money through sport, are you going to fund any projects that you mm. sport? And initially, the answer was no. That wasn't the plan. Um, but I think as the sort of voices started to grow and projects like Street League and some yeah. of the other sort of original um, sports and organisations started to become quite good at what they were doing, um, yeah, that sort of grabbed my attention. I had a background in football coaching and was a big football fan and, and uh, it seemed like a really good fit. So, yeah, I stumbled across Tackle Africa, who were a new organisation, who had just started up, been started by a guy, just spent a year teaching English in Tanzania and mm. come back um, and realised that, in his own words, he wasn't a very good English teacher, but the kids were so crazy about football and HIV was a really enormous problem. And he wanted to do something <clears throat> using football to combat HIV in Africa. And that's where the idea of Tackle Africa came from. And, uh, a few years later, when I was coaching um, in Uganda, um, I sort of stumbled across the idea of, well, if we train the coaches <clears throat> to learn about HIV, then you know what? We can we can scale this. And yeah. it could really work because the, the coach really does seem to have these young people's attention. You've kind of touched on it there, but I just wanted to ask what your kind of biggest success was on that on that journey what would you highlight as your sort of highlight um yeah it's a good question um i worked for street league that was my first job in sport development in the uk um and at the time street league was working with young offenders and people in drug and alcohol rehab um, and supporting them back into <clears throat> employment and education and every now and again somebody would come back who we'd not seen for for a few years or for six months and they'd come back just to drop in and say hi um, and tell us that their life is now going really well and, and they'd sorted something out and they'd got a job or they'd stayed in college or they'd got a qualification and, and that was awesome. That was really great yeah. when somebody would come back to the office completely out of the blue who we'd lost touch with and, and tell us that things were going well for them and, they, and that they attributed some of that to what Street League had offered them at the time which was – and so that was obviously like, – a really fulfilling thing to see at work. Um, and I guess in a similar thing with Tackle Africa, when you see coaches now across all the countries you work in, 
delivering really fantastic sessions with kids who are, and you can tell they're learning, you can tell they're listening. Yeah. Um, and then we can see them accessing services. We can actually now measure the number of young people who test for HIV for the first time um, or do something tangible and factual that will help protect them later in life. And, and that's a real, uh, yeah, a really proud moment for anybody associated with the organisation. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing that's important to us is that we want to be part of the established development sector yeah. rather than just seen as a sport film organisation. And that's it's not a negative to be in a sport film sector at all, but we always had the idea of TAC Africa was, it's an idea. It's a really great concept, but to scale it, the structure's already there. The partner's already there. Mm. There's big NGOs working all over the world who could do this at scale. And if, if we can convince them that what we do works, and over the last couple of years, some of these big organisations like Plan International and the HIV Alliance and, yeah. and others are now taking on board the, our approach and using it themselves. And that's fantastic. So it's moving of education out of the classroom, essentially, isn't it? It's, it's using enjoyment to frame um, social messages in a, in a kind of positive way, if you like. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's active learning. It's, it's, yeah. you, you learn because you have, you're having fun and you're enjoying it. And, and then the information that you're probably a bit hesitant in discussing starts to seep in. Yeah. And then, yeah, those barriers start to come down. You start to ask questions and you start to learn. And, and it's just like it's, we've only really seen it through that medium of sport that, that creates that environment where you can get kids to open up, get inquisitive, start asking questions. And we can teach that information originally in a very interactive way. So it's not about coming to play football and then mm. talking about sexual health. We, our coaches are delivering drills, which are very interactive, and you're learning while you're playing. So very crude examples being the ball's a condom or a defender's a white blood cell. or yeah. um, But it's very visual, it's very interactive, and you can see what happens um, in some quite complicated um, sort of either biological or yeah. social issues. And you can show it to kids in a way they understand. Um, and that's that's really important because they're, they're issues that kids don't want to talk about in, in normal circumstances, but they are really important. So doing it in a fun way is what sport brings to the equation. And um, you kind of mentioned it in a couple of answers ago, but um, just about measurement. How, how do you go about measuring your success in these programmes? Well, I think it's been a journey for, for everybody from sort of trying to prove that you've got a good idea <clears throat> to yeah. it being something that is fundable and good value for money in a, in a development context. So um, a similar journey for both Street League and, and Africa. And I think other organisations where Street League started by being able to engage people who would not normally engage in, in services and keep them coming back for more, hmm. which is a good thing. And then starting to be able to measure an improvement in things like their self-efficacy, their confidence, possibly their knowledge on certain topics. And then and as Street League evolved and started realising they could actually get people into jobs and into well, back to college or get qualifications. These are real tangible outcomes. So that journey was really exciting for Street League. And I think Tackle Africa's version has been to the engagement with clinical services. Yeah. So from getting a young person just to come to a session to getting them to learn a bit more, say their knowledge improves, their, their attitudes towards um, things like stigma and Mm. complex issues in Africa start to change 
and then actually seeing them test for HIV or um, accessing contraception that they haven't been able to before, like that, that, that factual, that young person has decided and then done something different is, I think, a real tipping point for our sector. Yeah, and it moves it from the kind of soft, nice to have outcomes to really kind of hard, tangible stuff that funders are looking for, I think. Um, yes. And um, just on the, on the kind of flip side, what, what's your being your kind of biggest challenge, um, you know, working in Tackle Africa and Street League? I think we all went through a challenge and it's not over in terms of convincing the world that our ideas, be it cricket or football or any other sport, yeah. are, are worthy of... Um, of the sort of levels of funding that are out there. And I remember speaking to a good friend of mine now who works for the HIV Alliance many years ago about what we do. And he was a, a, and is a, a big football fan. Mm. And he said, <clears throat> it sounds great, but go away, come back when you can tell me exactly what it costs and exactly what the outcome is. And at that point, we'll start talking to you about accessing uh, partnerships that might bring in larger amounts of funding um so that process has been what we've been going through and i think that's the the biggest challenge that face has faced this sector um and yeah now we're starting to be able to answer those questions well and prove that what we do is good value for money compared to other interventions with young people so that's that's definitely i think the uh the journey we've been on that's been a, been a big challenge but yeah but yeah, very, it's the, it was the right question for him to ask and drove us in the right direction. And now we can answer those questions with some confidence. Fantastic. And and just on that, so what, what does the kind of future hold for Tackle Africa? What's your kind of big focus in the next few years? I think it's always been the same in the sense of getting better at what we do, keep yep. learning, keep evaluating our work, keep improving it and trying to, to do more of it. Um, the, the, the goal for Tackle Africa was never to grow as an organisation, certainly not in the UK, mm. um, we always thought we've got an idea that could be scaled across the, the development sector. Um, and that's still the aim. We've grown quite a lot over the years trying to get to that point where, where we can prove it that, it, that it's, it's worth scaling. And I'll probably continue a bit, but, but our dream is that somebody with the existing infrastructure um, wants to take it to a much larger scale and and that's yeah that's still the approach from our side it's you know all our information is free to anybody who wants to use it yeah um, and our approach if we can we've got very good at capacity building and supporting community-based organizations in Africa to do this across their own region or, or town but getting an NGO to do it across a country or, or even or even a bigger scale would be fantastic you, you do the football marathons. I'm sure people have, have heard of them. Do you want to just kind of quickly explain what, what that is, the, the, the football marathons? Well, if somebody's up for 12 hours of six-a-side football in the summer, they'll be very welcome. We run <laughs> a, uh, it's a really awesome endurance challenge event. And it was uh, been a big part of Tackle Africa's yeah. growth and, and success is that this wonderful tournament that runs every year in London and now in four or five other places across the UK every summer as well. So um, on June the 9th this summer, there will be 50 teams playing six-a-side football squads of eight for 12 hours, 20-minute games on off all day playing everybody. And it's absolutely exhausting and uh, yeah, just about better than it is awful uh, but it's a yeah it's a wonderful challenge and, and all those guys will, and girls will be raising money uh, yep. for tackle africa uh, so if anybody thinks they, they've got 12 hours 
in the tank uh, of a competitive tournament. You can actually win it. You can win the whole thing after 12 hours or finish 50th. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's the day for you. It, yeah, I, for me, it's, it's a really great way of engaging people in the, in the charity and, um, and raising some money at the same time. So, yeah, check, check that out. So we've got a few kind of questions that we ask everyone on the pod. First one being, um, what does sport and development mean to you? I think it is... Well, firstly, very exciting. And, and I think, as I touched on before, it's sport film is a tool that should be seen as an integral part of the wider development sector. And whether that is around football and sexual health or around basketball, unemployability, or whatever it might be, I think sport really is a wonderful way to, to reach... I think it's the best way to reach young people. Um, so I think we'll see in the future much, much more sport-based activity achieving real change across the set of development goals across the world i think it's uh, i think it's growing really fast it's it's such an exciting place to be and i think the world of sport itself and professional sport is becoming more aware mm. that it's got an incredible role to play as well um, in changing the opinions of players and supporters and all sorts of exciting stuff's going on with common goal and um, yeah, the professional world getting involved. So I think it's incredibly exciting, um, and the best is yet to come. So we're also doing a series of interviews. So um, who else should we be speaking to as part of this project about learning um, about the world of sport and development? If there's just one person you could kind of recommend. Oh, I've got a list of more than one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I if I had to choose one, I would go back to uh, the founder of Street League. Okay. Um, so Dr. Damien Hatton is worth uh, um, checking out. He was the founder and CEO of Street League, who I think were, if not the first, certainly one of the, the first sports organisations working in, in the UK um, and one of the first to, to, to get to some sort of scale and now are almost nationwide across the country and in Scotland and other parts of the UK as well. So, yeah, he was a, a doctor working in, in A&E and seeing the same recurring um, issues with the same people who are homeless and, and struggling um, <clears throat> with things like drug and alcohol issues and decided that football would be a great way to try and improve their mm. health and their confidence and try and stop that repetition. So I think he was one of the first people to start to push sport as a tool for social change. Fantastic. We will, uh, we will get in touch. And, and the last question, um, what's, what's your proudest moment in sport and development? Um, I think it would be yeah, um, seeing the young people um, in the programme starting to access services or, or do things differently in their lives. And whether that's yeah. the street league and it's about getting a job, um, Tackle Africa, and it's somebody testing for HIV for the first time like that, that is a, a big step that they're taking. And they tell us they wouldn't have done it otherwise. And, and that change, you know, to see that firsthand is, is very exciting. So every time that happens, that's a... That's a great moment. How, how can people find out more about Tackle Africa? Go to our website, www.tackleafrica.org. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, yeah, if you're interested in football, get in touch. If you're interested in sport, young people in Africa, get in touch. And if you like both, then, then perfect. We've got, a, we've got a lot of things you can do. Charlie Gamble, thank you very much. Cheers, Dave. Thanks very much. Okay, so that was Charlie Gamble from Tackle Africa, a really great charity doing great work over in Africa and certainly a charity that I've looked up to. Sarah, uh, 
what were your kind of thoughts on that interview? Anything that uh, stuck out to you? I think the thing that really struck me was his comments around how to scale up delivery. He made the comment around it'd be good if uh, an international NGO would be interested in expanding the delivery and reaching more young people. But then I wondered, the model allows us to be more needs-led and focus on the issues that are particularly relevant to, a, to young people in each community because you're not going to have that cookie-cutter approach. So I think for me that was a, an interesting sort of dilemma. You want to increase your reach. You know you're doing something that works well. What's the best way to do that to make sure that it's still going to be effective for the young people that we're serving? Yeah, a, a really interesting issue, really. How do you build a model that allows for flexibility, so for local need, but also actually delivers results? And I think having people within country, which Tackle Africa do, goes some way to mitigate that. But clearly, that's something that they're kind of trying to trying to build on and trying to continue to work on to get that big partnership. Because what they, as I say, what they really want is that it's the scale and to just use football as a enabler to get more people engaged in in positive behaviors and, and the health system really uh lee any any thoughts on that first of all i'd just like to say a big thanks to charlie again because he's been he's been useful to us on many occasions when we've called on him for cricket without boundaries so been a really useful sounding board and i echo what you say about what a great charity tackle africa is the big thing that shone through throughout all of his interview was just how his his absolute belief in that sport is the way to engage young people Clearly, I think what's what's important now is the fact that they're starting to be able to measure that impact as well. So it, they're putting some numbers behind this, these beliefs that they have, which is really encouraging and, and I think something that everybody in this sector aspires to. And again, like we referenced in the earlier bit of the podcast when we were talking about the development goals, is building partnerships, recognising where people are strong and using other groups who are you know, specialists in different areas. So if you enjoyed that interview with Charlie or if you have any thoughts or comments or questions that came to mind while you were listening to it, you can send us an email at info at goodsportscast.org.uk or drop a message on Twitter at goodsportscast. We'd love to hear from you. So now we're going to do a quick quiz. So um, this is all about where sport and development organisations operate. I'm going to give you the name of an organisation and you will take it in turns to guess which country they operate in. Uh, I will give you three options and you will rotate who guesses first. Okay. Any questions on that format? No, it sounds perfect. Uh, Good luck, Sarah. I'm excited already. Bring it on. Okay, so Sarah, you are the first to uh, say where this organisation operates. It is called Ascend Leadership Through Athletics. And your three options are Afghanistan, India and Nigeria. I'm afraid it's a guess. I'm going to go with Nigeria. Okay, Nigeria, Lee? I'm going to go Afghanistan. Well, I can reveal that it's first blood to Mr. Booth. Oh. Yes, get in there. They are a US organisation who develop women's self-confidence, leadership skills and civic engagement through mountain climbing. So uh, the next one is Umoya, spelt U-M-O-Y-A, Sports Foundation. Lee, you go first. Is it Kenya, Greece or India? So there's, you're not giving me any clue as to what they do? I've got to work this out? Uh, I will give you simply the name of the uh, 
of the organisation. I will go Kenya. I'm going to say Kenya as well. Is this allowed? Uh, it's not. <laughs> you are. <laughs> well, I, mean, I have to pick something else, even if I think it sounds like it's likely to be Kenyan. No, I, I, th- I think that is allowed. You can, you can do that. As it turns out, you're both wrong. It's oh. oh, well, that's fair then. <laughs> it's India. So they um, aim to provide holistic development and breaking the boundaries by bringing joyous sports into lives of people with disabilities. Ah, interesting. So I thought yeah, I would put you off with that name. The next one is... Uh, Did Sam Kenya. Yes, is Inuka Direct, I-N-U-K-A. And the options, uh, South Africa, Kenya or New Zealand. I'm going to go with South Africa. Okay. I'm going to stick confidently with my previous answer and go to Kenya again. Uh, you are right in that confidence. It is Kenya. Oh, Tremendous. no. It is a grassroots community-based organisation using football to promote participatory development among children and youth in Nairobi. So the next one is has a, got a bit of a clue, but uh, so they're called Rugby Para Todos. T-O-D-O-S. Are they in Argentina, Venezuela or Portugal? Tricky. Sounds South American. I'm going to go Argentina. I'm going to go Portugal. Oh, dear. Oh, no. (laughs) It is, in fact, Venezuela. Oh, victory still. (laughs) So they contribute to physical and mental development of children and teenagers in low-income areas of the city, Caracas, who have no possibility to be exposed to rugby. Interesting. So the last one is um, MVP Sport. Sarah, you have the honour of going first in a consolationary bracket. Uh, <laughs> is it USA, South Africa or Spain? That sounds American to me, USA. You've gone USA. Um, uh, that sounds Spanish to me, David. Uh, remarkably, yes, it is Spanish. What? Oh, this has been too easy. <laughs> <laughs> well that's uh yes a, a rather comprehensive 3-0 uh victory but it's a taking part that counts so mvp sport is a non-profit organization with the aim of creating new models of sport education for youth risk behavior prevention and positive development through sport and they operate in spain um so i'll, I'll give you the tiebreaker because it, it's quite interesting so according to the sport and De- dev website um how many sport and development organisations are registered in Europe? And to give you a reference point, US Ooh. has 107. 107 in the US. I'm going to say Europe-wide, lots of sport in Europe. I'm going to go 237. Okay, Sarah? Ooh, I think I'm going to go 200. Uh, the answer is 203. So yeah! you've got money there got that one at least but however it was in vain it was in fact lee who secures the first victory in this i'm sure going to be legendary quiz series so uh, yes congratulations to lee thank you very much and well played sarah and um, you know congratulations lee so all the organizations mentioned there are featured on the sport and dev website which is sportanddev.org it's a great website. It's a resource that brings together all the organisations doing sports and development work. And it's an opportunity for them to connect. There's toolkits on there. There's loads of information about sports and development. The links to the organisations mentioned in the quiz are also on our website, which is goodsportscast.org.uk. Check it out.
Okay, so that's the final whistle for the Good Sports Podcast. Please go and have a look at our website and look at the document on the Sustainable Development Goals and Sport. Let us know your comments on how you might use it for your organisation or any questions you may have. Also, please do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can do that via Twitter at at GoodSportsCast. Or on our website at GoodSportsCast.org.uk. Or you can drop us an email, info at GoodSportsCast.org.uk. So from the Good Sportscast, that's goodbye from us.